Hey, this is Evan Jackson, Video Production Director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. Good morning, New Life Church. Yeah, I'm a millennial, so I preach on my laptop. Too bad. Um, good morning, everyone. It's, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, I just want to give a big, special thank you to Pastor Dave uh, for allowing my wife and I to take over this service. Um, I apologize that I'm not as good of a preacher as him, uh, if it's your first week, um, but I'll do my best. Um, you could say that I had to do a lot of preparation to get ready for this sermon. Um, so let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time you've given us to learn more about you, and we thank you for all of our children who are learning more about you every time they step here into this church, and every time we pray with them at home or spend time reading, reading our Bibles as a family. Heavenly Father, I ask that today you would anoint my voice, Lord, and give me a, a clearness of speech, a clearness of mind, and please help my foot to hold out. Um, so I can deliver this message that you've given me, Lord. Uh, we ask that you would just bless this entire school year as our kids have gone back to school, and we pray that this would be a normal school year for them. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So what's the sentence that inflicts dread upon most teenagers? Joy and elation. Amongst parents, excitement for first graders, what's that one sentence you've all heard? Welcome back to school. See, this, this sentence means summer is really over. Family vacations, lazy days by the local pool, summer camps are just a memory. Video game con consoles are no longer overheating. Stay-at-home moms can't wait to have their time again. And for dads, unfortunately, barbecue season is coming to an end. But before we get to welcome back to school, what's that all-important question that we've heard several times before we get to school? Right? It usually comes from mom or dad. And it's pretty annoying at first because it interrupts our summer in the middle of August. You know, early August, Back-to-school sales have started. Why? Sometimes they start in July, right? And then two weeks before school, it's a mad dash to start your summer reading and to argue with mom about the fashion content of your, of your summer or your school clothes. Now, as you fall asleep before, you, before that first day of school, your parents ask one more time, are you ready for school? Now, little do we know as children, our parents are also asking themselves, am I ready to have a first grader? Am I ready to have an eighth grader or a senior? This question of preparation, it comes up every day before school, right? I know for me, when I was a teenager, it came up every morning. And it was always asked by my mom. Hi, mom and dad. Uh, 
I was the type of kid that I did get my clothes ready the night before. I had my backpack ready. I'd wake up in the morning and run five miles. You know, I'd take my shower, get dressed, shake up my protein shake, and go out the door. Now, the one thing I didn't prepare for was my sister. See, in our house, there was only two bathrooms. There was the main bathroom for everybody to brush their teeth in the morning and get ready. And then there was one other bathroom for you to take a shower. So if I woke up a little bit late, or if my sister woke up a little bit early, and I didn't get to that shower first, guess what? There was a half hour I had to wait for, through. And what would happen, right? After that, I would have to get ready as quick as possible or have to go to school smelling like, uh, you know, eighth grade gym class. Um, and my mom would be asking me, are you ready for school? And I'd be like, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And my mom would literally hand me my breakfast as I'm walking out the door. And she would set me off like I was, like I was in a track race. And I literally would go running down the street. And if I made it to that corner and I could see the bus, I knew I could catch it. Um, this also led me to try it for the track team. Um, but what's the worst that can happen when you're not ready? You miss the bus, right? So let's fast forward about 10 years later when I was a school bus driver. See, when I was a school bus driver, we had this guideline. It was called the 10-minute window. Right? So what does that mean? This meant that if your bus stop was at 7 a.m., the bus could come as early as 6.50 or as late as 7.10. Now, there was a small percentage of parents and students that couldn't get this concept through their head. They thought that it meant that the bus was going to be there from 6.50 and wait 20 minutes for you to get there. See, what, see, when you do that, then you're getting to school like an hour and a half late. It's not going to work that way. So this particular morning, I pulled up to a stop at 6.58 a.m. I stopped, picked up some kids, continued the route. You know, picked up some more kids at the next stop, the next stop, and the next stop. And in my case, I drove for Craig, which meant I had to get on the highway. I'm driving down 218, and I'm right about to get on the highway. All of a sudden, a car comes, uh, comes out, cuts me off, and slams on the brakes in front of me. Now, as a bus driver, we're trained to drive defensively and protect the kids at all costs. I don't know who Road Rage Karen is, but she's out to get me this morning. So I maneuver around her, and I call it in on the radio. There's, some, there's somebody with road rage. I don't know what's going on, but they're, they're following me. She tries it again. I, I go around and keep going. She pulls up next to me, lowers her window. And she was really kind with all the really kind words she yelled at me. Um, she got out of her car, started yelling and everything else. And I still don't know what's going on. So I take off, get on the highway. Right? Meanwhile, I've called it in. And the police and the principal will be there waiting for me. She follows me the whole way, following me as closely as possible. I don't know who this lady is, right? Get to the school, pull up, and let the kids off the bus. And here she is, Road Rage Karen. 
her hands are moving in all different directions. She is using those oh-so-kind words. Um, and then I see this little boy get out of the backseat of her car and walk inside to school. Now, Road Rage Karen is still upset. She claims that I knew who she was. I was a spare driver. I've never seen her in my life. She claims that I left them at the stop. I left her kid. So then, myself and the principal educate her on the 10-minute window. She rejects this, and she claims she's going to call News Channel 8. Furious, she left. She gets in her car, and guess what happens next? Road Rage Karen is on time the next day for school. <laughs> so, in that case, she learned a lesson that she's got to be on time for the bus. Now, when it, comes to, when it comes to the Bible, there is a bus coming for us, but it's only coming one time. And mom can't drive you to school. So let's turn to... Matthew 25, verses 1 through 12. A lot of you might be familiar with this story. Um, And it starts, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins, or in our case, ten students, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now the bridegroom was delaying. They all got dr- now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, "Behold, the bridegroom! Come out to meet him!" Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, "Give us some of your oil, for our lamps." We'll go out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. What's the point here? Take care of yourself first. This seems selfish and counterintuitive when it comes to the Bible. But we all need to prepare ourselves. Some of us think that we have all the time in the world to get right with God, but that's far from the truth. Others think, my mom brings us to church, so I'm all set. No. Remember, God has given you the free will and the opportunity to prepare for when Jesus returns or takes you to be with him. In this passage, all the ten virgins knew the bridegroom was coming but no one knew when or how long it would take. The prudent virgins, 
or as the dictionary defines it, those acting with or showing care and thought for the future took extra oil for their lamps in a flask. The foolish did not, did not have any oil. Uh, I'm sorry. The foolish did have oil in their lamps, but there was no extra oil. There was no reserve to pull from. And unfortunately, they were not ready. Also, the prudent ones were wise enough to know they, they could not provide for others and be ready themselves. Now, as much as we want to force our children, our parents, and our friends to prepare for the next life, it's a personal choice. The Bible encourages us to take care of this long-term issue first and prepare for the next life by accepting Christ as the Lord of your life and believing the words he's given us in his word. Now, that belief compels us to action. And if it doesn't, you may need to redefine belief for yourself. In this story of the ten virgins, I think that amount of oil that each virgin brought with them represented the depth of their belief. They all thought the bridegroom was coming, but only those that believed acted upon those thoughts and made sure they had enough oil to fulfill their obligation to be ready for the bridegroom. They thought beyond right now and made the choice to be ready every day. Now, how do we know how to be ready for what God has for us? You get your checklist, right? What's on your back-to-school list? Yell something out. What was, on your, what was on your school list this year? Notebooks. What else? Pens. Papers, markers, backpacks. Erasers, I guarantee you there was a number two pencil on there. Right? But where do we get this checklist? Where'd you get your checklist? The internet? Yeah, there's a lot of good ones out there. How many of you, you got yours from the school or the teacher? How many of you got it from your parents? How many students got it from your parents? Your parents got it from the school, so they gave it to you. So yes, you got it from your parents. All right, And how many of you added some things to your checklist because of your own experience? Right. So where do we get our checklist? We look towards Jesus. See, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we look to Jesus as our checklist, he tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The first and the third are pretty, pretty straightforward, the first and the third thing. He provided the way to the Father and the life eternal. But what about the truth? You notice he didn't say my truth or your truth or Kanye West's truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And we must go through Jesus, who is the truth, to get to the Father. That means we must directly confront the truth of who we are. This is both a freeing process for us, 
but it's also a burning, painful process. See, Jesus, the truth, encourages us to grow those, part of our, those parts of ourselves that align with him and to destroy that which doesn't. Now, stubborn as we are, we hate hearing something's a process, right? We want cliff notes. Now, so did some experts in Mosaic Law. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, they asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Right? So first thing, right up top, love God with all your heart. Love God with all your desires, your feelings. Those things should align with him. Love that relationship you have with God and hold it dear in your heart. Love him with all your soul. Worship God and honor him in all that you do. With all your mind. Keep everything that's entering your mind and held in your mind pure and honoring to God. And throw out all that doesn't. With all your strength. Love God with every fiber of your being and put all your effort into it. Loving God comes first. And if you love God, I promise you, you'll be loving yourself. You can't love God without spending time with God, right? Prayer and regular Bible study are imperative. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Now think of God like a friend, right? If I only see this friend once a week, once a month, and I tell him that you're my best friend, what would that friend think of me? Probably think I have some low standards for friendship, right? You might call it a surface-level friendship. But what happens when you start talking to that friend on a daily basis? It becomes personal. And we can't just talk about the weather and how tired I feel. Right? We want so much from God, and we desire all his promises. But do we believe enough to make him part of our routine? Make him the first person that you tell your successes and failures. Make prayer your first reaction to any situation. Now for each of us, knowing which part of ourselves needs work, which part of the checklist we need to work on, it's a continual process. We call it sanctification. And this can seem like a monumental task. How do I fix myself? But if you follow those two commandments, everything else is going to fall into place. And if you're not sure what needs to be added or taken out of your checklist today, pray. 
God will give you direction and draw attention to what's important in your relationship with him. Every single day, you can allow him to update your checklist and get ready for that next day of school. And it's not going to happen all at once, but a few small things at a time. Now, this brings us to the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why did Jesus say neighbor? He didn't say friend, family, stranger. A neighbor is someone who dwells or lives near you. This can mean your literal neighbor next to your house. It could mean a coworker, a customer, a teacher, a classmate. Whoever is living near you, let every interaction bring the love you've invited into your life into theirs. Now, this doesn't mean that you got to preach it, you know, as loud as you can in their faces. The end is near! The end is near! It doesn't work very well. Be patient and just be the person that God has created you to be. And recognize that the people in your life are there on purpose. God has called you to the life that you have. And if you think, I just wish I could do a little bit more, let God provide those moments that will extend beyond your routine interactions. That's only going to happen if you are consistently loving the people in your neighborhood. Uh, When I worked at the bus company, I was a union steward, right? This meant that my part of my job was being a professional arguer. Uh, and I had a boss that I worked for, and we argued all the time, daily if, if, if not multiple times a day. And she was very tough. She yelled at me plenty of times. But I never yelled back. And over time, we developed a a routine of respect where we could argue in regular tones and move forward. Now, one particular day, uh, my fellow union stewards and I, we were talking with her about a bus route, something wrong with a sports route and, you know, whatever it was. In the middle of this conversation, our boss, and when, when I tell you she was tough as nails, she was tough as nails. She broke down in tears. Immediately, everyone in the room, all four of us knew, this was something completely outside of what we were talking about. And she opened up to us about some painful issues in her life. But why? Why would a boss reveal something personal and talk to people she's supposed to argue with? I like to believe it had to do with our consistency in dealing with her with respect and integrity. Now, regardless of that reason, she was my neighbor in that moment. So we all talked with her, talked through it. And after we finished talking, I asked if we could pray with her. I didn't know if she went to church. I knew nothing about her personal life. 
But I knew that the best I could do to love her was bring her to a God who loves her. So we all laid hands on her and prayed for her. And you could see a weight lifted off her shoulders. This story brings me to my next point. Just do your homework. Just do your homework. How many times did your mom or dad tell you that? How many can honestly say, my mom told me that 17 times a day and I still didn't listen? That was me, 100%. So, like I said, there's more you can do. God will call you to do that when you're doing your homework already. But how do I know if I'm ready? Well, when God presents you with an opportunity, just do it. Let's look at someone in the Bible who was doing their homework. We're going to turn to Gideon. Versus, uh, not Gideon. We're going to turn to Judges 6, uh, starting in verse 11. So just for some context, you guys can read Judges 6 and 7 at home, but I'm going to skip through it. But here's a summary, right? The people of Israel are no longer following God. And the Midianites were regularly devastating the Israelites, attacking and destroying all their crops and, and taking their livestock. The Israelites were living in fear for seven years, and it only seemed to be getting worse. So in verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. As his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Gideon's pretty creative. You know, they're, they're taking all the food, so he brought it to the wine press. You know, I guess the Midianites were like, oh, the Israelites can, you know, they can have all the wine they want. They're going to take their food. Um, skipping down to verse 14. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this strength of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? But he said to him, O Lord, how am I to save Israel? Behold, my family is least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Yet the Lord said to him, I will certainly be with you, and you will defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, then perform for me a sign that it is you speaking with me. Here God asked Gideon to deliver the people, right? But he, God asked him while Gideon was already doing something about the problem. He was grinding that grain on the wine press. He was doing his homework. He wasn't staring at the wall or checking Facebook. In that moment, in that moment God said, Gideon, you are ready to deliver Israel from the enemy. Unfortunately, Gideon, just like us, says, Oh, God, I'm, I'm young. I'm scrawny. Uh, my family's not that cool, you know. In other words, he said, I'm not ready, God. Um, so God takes Gideon through all these extra steps to build, his conf to build up his confidence. So I'll summarize the rest of Judges 6 for you. God tells Gideon to destroy some idols. He does. 
Now, meanwhile, the Midianites and the Amalekites are gearing up to raid Israel again. So Gideon, with a little more confidence, sends messengers to gather up the men to fight. Now Gideon, still not believing he's ready, asks for a sign. So God gives him two. Now Gideon has thousands of men with him ready to take out the Midianites. The Bible actually tells us about 32,000 men. All right, so now we pick up in Judges 7, verses 2 through 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to hand Midian over to them. Otherwise, Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and worried is to return and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 from the people returned, but 10,000 remained. Clearly, those 22,000 weren't ready. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test, you, test them for you there. So it shall be said that he of whom I say to you, This one shall go, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought, down, brought the people down to the water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, You shall put everyone who laps water with his tongue as a dog laps in one group, and everyone who kneels down to drink in another. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth to drink, was 300 men. But all the rest of the, the people kneeled down to drink the water. They basically stuck their heads down into the stream like a dog. Like that was the last thing they were going to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will save you with the 300 men who lapped, and will hand the Midianites over to you. So have all the other people go, each man to his home. Now what kind of sense does it make to take 300 out of 32,000 men into battle? Right? And I'm sure when Gideon was separating them, he was saying, oh, put these, the dog lappers over here. Put, he's like, <laughs> look at the dog lapper squad. I mean, they're going to be stacked. And then God tells him that you're taking these 300. I would have had a, I would have had a heart attack. I probably would have started sweating. But Gideon was obedient. Right? Because God actually surrounded Gideon with 300 men who were ready. And you're only going to be ready to pray for your boss or your friend if you're regularly talking with God. There's no big secret to being ready. There's no big secret to prayer, knowing the Bible, or being ready for God to use you. It all comes down to obedience. Just do your homework. Obedience comes first. But we don't like to be told what to do, right? At the same time, we want God to do so much in our lives. Remember that God sent one man, Gideon, to defeat the Midianites. That one man wasn't confident and obedient to go and do the homework God assigned to him. So Gideon needed a study group, so God provided one. 
So you might want to get some study buddies if you're not confident in what God has for you. If you're not sure what to do next or how to handle a situation, run it by a trusted friend who you know to be a man or woman of God. And if you don't have enough friends like this in your life, well, get rid of those dog lappers that you do have in your life and go find some friends that will pray with you. We, uh, we have this place, you know, where you can meet some of those friends. We like to call it church. Um, in case you didn't know, you're here already, so... However, you're not going to make friends watching me preach this sermon or watching this sermon at home on your couch. And you're not going to make friends, good friends like that, coming in at 10 a.m. Right as, right as service starts and leaving as soon as the preacher says amen. Community happens before and after service. It happens during life groups summer hikes, youth trips, going over another family's house that you met at church. Now this whole sermon is about getting ready, right? setting yourself up and going after what God has for you. Right? Just like my mom <laughs> helped me get ready and set myself up and she said, go, don't miss the bus. I'm sure at other times she told me, get your checklist. I know for a fact that my mom and my dad told me, do your homework. And I definitely did have some good study buddies. So if you can apply this simple plan, you're going to be ready for all the trouble life brings your way whether that's a test in school, sharing your faith with a friend, a family crisis, sickness, depression. I hurt my foot, actually, and I'm, thank God it's, I, I haven't fallen over yet. But whatever that problem is in your life, you can defeat it with God's help. You can overcome sin. You can worship God with all your being. And you can be ready for school today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you give us everything we need. You provide for us that way, that truth, and life. Lord, you give us not only the direction to go, but all the instructions that go along with it. We thank you that you are a God who loves us, a God who cares for us in all that we're going through. Lord, you see all our problems. You know that they're coming. Lord, please help us to prepare for those things that are coming up in our lives. Help us to seek your face. Help us to know you more, Lord. Lord, and I pray that we would all not only get to know you, and prepare ourselves, but build a community that helps each other to be ready for all the challenges that are going to come our, our way. Heavenly Father, right now, I just want to 
lift up all of our students who are facing a school year that is very uncertain, that it could be like the school year was last year. It could get interrupted. There could be lots of fear associated with it. There could be lots of distraction. Heavenly Father, we know that all of this is in your plan and in your hands. And we put our students in your hands. And Heavenly Father, as parents, we ask that you anoint us to bring our kids closer to you in everything that we do. Heavenly Father, for any of the families that are represented here or at home or families who have yet to be invited to this church, Lord, I pray that you would anoint our fathers to be the priests of the home. Lord, and we thank you so much for our moms that continually are getting us ready. Heavenly Father, we ask right now that for all the students from, from birth through high school, Lord, Lord, that they would get to know you more and that they would come out of youth group and graduate and know who their God is and be able to share that with those around them. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for the victory in our lives that you are bringing. And we thank you so much for all of your blessings. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.